Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. I'm recording this on Sunday morning, the 30th of July. Uh, so the All-Ireland final is about to throw in in a few hours and I just want to take this opportunity to congratulate Desi Farrell and the Dublin team and offer my commiserations to the Kerry team. I think it was Bang Bang who said it. Football is a simple game. 30 players take to the pitch and about 70 odd minutes later, Dublin win. Now, for those of you still listening after that nonsense, uh, I need you to click the link at the top of the podcast that says patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. It's a few quid from you, but it's mics on for us, and it's the easiest bit of activism you can do. We've no ads, we've no sponsors, we rely entirely on you. There is no tortoiseshack without our members, and we are very grateful for every cent we receive. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. I promise I'm shutting up now. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and we are back sooner than planned, earlier than advertised. And the reason we're back so quickly, Martin, is because, you know, we've been keen advocates for climate action, for the climate emergency, the chaos, the breakdown. And we've seen forces align across the globe. And, you know, we've moved from a stage where we thought we'd move from a stage from climate denialism to climate delayism. And yet we seem to flip flop between the two, and it's it's it's. I, I, I even think we've moved from sort of uh, climate, the, the need for climate change or climate action to uh, it's been split into a culture war now. Yeah, those for uh, and those against. No, that's very true. It's become it's become uh, a culture war issue, which is just crazy to think. You know, like it's when you try and make the the, the very basic argument. I always say when people I know personally say to me about you know ask me about climate, I say, well. If we're wrong about it, what's the worst that's going to happen? We'll have cleaner water, air, and, and a little better, and a little better place to live. You know, a bit more uh, biodiversity when you step out your door. So that's actual worst case scenario. That if we're wrong about it, things are a bit nicer anyway. So yeah, let's not have nice things anyway. The reason we're, we're uh, that that big lead in is because we're delighted to be joined by Porrick Fogarty. Folks, if you listen to the musical podcast, you would have heard Porrick talk about his book, Whittled Away, which is a fantastic book. And I think everybody should have a have a read of it. But Porrick is a longtime environmentalist, climate action advocate and a former now member of the Irish Wildlife Trust, Porrick. Uh, and it's fair to say you've had an interesting few days. Yeah, it's been kind of uh, it's been kind of busy, um, but um, but ultimately uh, I'm, I'm happy with how it's turned out. So yeah, yeah. Well, uh, can we people who don't know you, if you don't mind, because there's going to be loads of listeners in in here. Most of our listeners would be engaged, but there might be new people to us listen today and going, um, well, all right, who's this guy and why should I care? Porik, you're decades at, in, in the climate movement. Tell us a little bit about what where where. When you got your start and where you feel it is now, especially when it comes back to what Martin has said, how climate action has become a culture war issue. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I always was into nature and uh, nature was was my thing as a, as a child. And then later in life, I didn't do it in college or anything like that. But afterwards, uh, when I started looking for a meaningful career, I discovered that, you know, you could actually be a, an ecologist. And that led me into the work of the Irish Wildlife Trust. The Irish Wildlife Trust has been around since the late 1970s. And that gives you a hint, really, about how long a lot of these people have been uh fighting these issues for and uh, so i started as a as a volunteer um as anyone who has ever joined uh you know one of these groups will know if you put your hand up in a meeting you will get a job 
And uh, I ended up uh, being the chair of the organization for, I think I did about four years. That's probably about a decade ago as well. But then when I stepped down as chair, I quite enjoyed the the campaigning work. And you really at the time, I mean, no, no one, I mean, I wouldn't describe myself now as a climate activist. I mean, I'm, I'm a biodiversity activist, maybe. Um, but at the time, these were all very compartmentalized. You know, uh, climate, in my mind, was just something off for somebody else to deal with and uh, wasn't part of what we were doing. Uh, but I could see, uh, you know, those things converging over time. And I really enjoyed the the campaigning work and the communication work. Um, uh, and so I kept that on as, as campaign officer. And then I became staff with the Irish Wildlife Trust. And so in total, that's about 20 years of, of, of work uh, until uh, the weekend just passed. That's um, 20 years of your life. And then let's go to the to the to the part where where what Martin calls culture wars, and I believe quite correctly, you wrote a blog, and um, and I won't. It wasn't the first time that you've kind of you you you, you know you're oh, you're not as online as I am, but you certainly tweet a little bit, you know, and you've kind of you've I've I've seen the tone of your tweets talk about what's been happening in terms of the the radicalization of an issue you know something that's been taken and um and made into one of these culture war incidents and you refer to the 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 far right within it can we first of all talk a little bit about the blog and then uh the irish wildlife trust decision to redact it yeah so i mean you're you're right i mean i i would never really have put those two you know uh, agriculture and far right kind of stuff uh together but last summer uh, in Holland, uh, there was a court ruling in that country to uh, force the governments to reduce nitrogen uh, emissions. Now, this might seem very arcane to most people. Uh, nitrogen is a source of pollution from all kinds of things, but particularly from agriculture. But what, it, what happened was that the, the government in Holland was forced to uh, come up with a scheme to shut down uh, farms and um, and reduce cattle numbers and reduce uh, nitrogen emissions. And this was obviously a very abrupt thing to happen to farmers uh, who were involved in it. But it was also very quickly assimilated into uh, much broader far-right messaging uh, across the world. I mean, it was picked, went, went all over the United States. And it became part of this narrative that you know, there is a bogeyman out there who is coming for you. It's coming for your land. It's coming for your livelihood. It's coming for your values, your tradition. Now, whatever you want the bogeyman to be, it could be George Soros. It could be the Green Party. It could be, in this case, it was uh, rules from the European Union. Um, but that level of scaremongering then uh, really went beyond the control even of the of uh, the farming groups in Holland. And we've seen in since then in Holland it has become enormously politically disruptive. Uh, the protests were violent on occasion. And uh, we've seen the emergence of this new uh, party uh, in, in recent weeks and those elections now in Holland uh, on the horizon. So I was thinking, well, this is very dangerous because in Ireland, we're facing a very similar uh, situation with our nitrates. Um, and uh, this cliff edge is also approaching. It's not like nobody's known about it. It's been known about for decades. But, uh, you know, rather than maybe going into all that debate around nitrates in Ireland, but what I saw then was that the debate has become 
infected with a lot of the same kind of talking points. But that, can, I, um, can I can I just I want to go I I'd love you to continue that thought, but I think it's important for listeners to to put you you've outlined some of the things that that you've, you've spoken about the the Netherlands, which I think is important here. It goes beyond you know mean tweets. Like we have a, a situation there where the deputy prime minister has said, "I'm not continuing in politics. I'm getting death threats now." So I want to just make that clear to listeners that it becomes an issue where people are feeling, "I'd rather actually, I'd rather get out of politics altogether than than uh, than than you know put my family through this this thing." So so you know we're not we're not over dramatizing this part. I just want to be clear on this. It's not you know it's not a case. You said you know uh, there was there were protests. Well, some of it has gone to, has gone to a level whereby you know it's anti democratic and it's uh and it's 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 having a nasty impact on on what should have been you know let's have let let's have um. The, let's put out your case for what you want to do. Let's put out their case for what to do, and let's see what the majority agree on. You know, and that's gone away. Mm. We've also seen in the UK where there's been concerted effort to limit uh, uh, freedom of protest. You know, specifically over climate action, we've seen this case in France where one particular group was was uh, 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 banned uh, in France. So. It, it is part of a much wider, a much uh, more dangerous situation. And this is, I guess, what I was trying to sound uh, the alarm on. Barak, when you wrote the piece, what was it you said that people didn't like? So, I mean, interestingly, the, the story uh, that I wrote was divided into two. Uh, I started talking about a farmer that I visited uh, earlier this summer as part of an open day on his farm. There were environmentalists, there were scientists, there were neighboring farmers. And this particular farmer was re-wetting uh, uh, some peatland that he had on his farm. He was like many farmers in the Midlands. He's on the edge of a bog and uh, the, the land was drained. And, and now, of course, these farmers are being asked to um, undrain us because it's a huge source of carbon emissions. Um, but we had a very interesting day. Uh, the farmer himself was, you know, very open uh, to changes. And there was a scheme in place by the government that was going to pay him for delivering um, uh, emissions reductions. And it was all very uh, forward thinking and convivial. And I was contrasting that with the narrative that we hear constantly from the main farming organizations, that climate action is going to bring a hard stop to rural Ireland and everything rural Ireland believes in. Um, uh, and then combined with the spreading of uh, misinformation, the attack on scientists, and in particular, uh, th this came after the attack, uh, the, my, the, my blog was published, but um, last week there was, a, there was quite an assault on the Environmental Protection Agency on their scientists trying to undermine their integrity, draw uh, in their results into question. And so really what that, that the blog went on in that uh, kind of tone, but what, um, what tipped it over the edge for many people was my, my use of the phrase lurching to the far right. Mm. And then there was also, um, uh, uh, people didn't like that. I, I compared, uh, the IFA, the Irish Farmers Association, I compared them to the DUP. Mm. And I did that because I see them as a kind of a, a blanket rejectionist group that just say no, no, no to everything. And I just want to be very clear on one thing, which is always, and again, this is personal, Martin, for me and you, it's never a problem if you say someone's hard left. It's never a problem if you say someone is far left. And it's certainly not a problem. It's actually embraced in much of media if you say they're loony left. Okay. And and I'm probably all three. Um, but my point being, Park, I find that quite, you know, funny whereby you, you that, that, that was the, they used that 
And then, unfortunately, in my opinion, this is I'm not asking you to express an opinion on this. The decision was made within the Irish Wildlife Trust to redact your your blog. Um, to to, and I put it to you now that by conceding ground and then take ultimately, you know, taking it down, they're not. That's going to actually embolden the IFA rather than um, discourage them. That the, that that the it was a, it was a tactical mistake by the Irish Wildlife Trust to to cede that as quickly and uh, without any. You know, basis of well, let's let's talk about the reasons why you said what you why you wrote why what you wrote. I think it was a, f- a mistake from them, and I put it to you: the IFA uh, have are probably cock a hoop with this. Well, I mean, obviously, you're you're correct that it was a mistake, and you're and of course I agree with that because that's ultimately why why I resigned my position. I mean, um, it has gotten uh, attention in in the media, and uh, 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 and in that regard, you know, you know, will the IFA be cock a hoop over it? I don't think they will be. Um, I mean, I thought it was it was what you, what you said about you know it, it's okay to call people far left, but then when you when you call when you refer to the far right, there was meltdown. I think a lot of people kind of associated um, the far left accusation with you know kind of uh skinhead tuggery that you know we might have seen in the 1980s and i think a lot of people maybe haven't seen how the far right have really worked very hard to cleanse themselves of that uh perception that they're all out smashing things up all the time um, um it has to be said that the far right uh, uh, both historically and at the present moment in time you know it's men in suits it's people with money there are skinheads with you know at the very base level but the guys who are funding and organizing this wear suits and ties they are business people and uh, they don't get involved with the the kicking the shit out of people on the streets but they very much promote it absolutely and um and so that's that's a, a distinction that's that I, I obviously would make i'm not accusing them of being racists or you know stoking anti-immigrant sentiment or anything like that but uh but you're right i mean uh, these days, the far right are, you know, they've, they've tried very hard to make themselves respectable and, uh, you know, uh, make themselves kind of polite company. Um, but you can, you, and you, you'd have to ask them, why are, why are they doing this? And, you know, it's about protecting profits. I mean, um, dairy expansion in Ireland, uh, in particular, um, over the last decade has made fantastic amounts of money. And I'm not talking about the farmers themselves. Dairy farmers themselves have done well. They are they are on decent incomes and and best to look to them. But the the profits from the big uh, the co ops, the supermarkets, you know the the people, the beef barons, where the real money is going, uh, and that's why um, uh, this is happening really to to protect well, like I, uh, those it, profits. And again, for the benef- benefit of listeners, just recall COVID and the restrictions that we had to do, and how certain industries were protected. You mentioned beef barons. My word, like, you know, people were people living in direct provision centers were forced to work in, in, in conditions that that no one would have been told were, were, were unsafe in the best of times, working in conditions, you know, in, in certain aspects, hotbedding and these things during the, during the global pandemic and working for these industries to to create gen, to generate huge profits. But I just think I suppose I'm asking your opinion as someone who has said I've read much of what you've written. I think you I think you've got a really interesting view on obviously nature is your thing, but you've seen this growing, this movement. And what happened to you? Is that just simply part or part of a wider um strategy to undermine 
uh, environmental NGOs and, you know, the likes of like, you know, we mentioned before we came on air, the nature restoration laws and how, you know, we the, the work that goes on um, by these groups is is this is it just is it just one piece of a jigsaw of something that people aren't taking paying attention to? It's happening, it's happening across the board, and it, it, it ultimately, you know, that their lobby their lobbyists are better than ours, Parik. Well, they're certainly better better resourced. I mean, for a very long time, and I mentioned, you know, the, the Irish Wildlife Trust has been around for fifty years. Um, you know, any kind of criticism of agriculture in Ireland uh, has been met with, you know, accusations that you're anti-farming and um, and you just want to shut down farming and you never recognize the good work that farmers are doing. Now, in, in our heads as activists, we are thinking, oh, well, we're not criticizing farmers, we're criticizing the farm leaders or we're criticizing the food system or the politicians that have set up this architecture to allow uh, what has happened. Um, but the, the that narrative that, you know, voices like mine are anti-farming has been very successful. So a lot of farmers believe that I am trying to wipe out farming. And, and I saw there's a press release from the Irish uh, Catholic, uh, the ICMSA. Uh, they they don't that. like you, Park. They don't. But the, 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 the title of their press release, quote, they want family dairy farms gone. And that is the narrative. And the same chap was in uh, the Irish Times saying that there's a great conspiracy between environmental groups and big corporations like Nestle and, Delon and Danone to get rid of traditional family farms. And so th this is the constant messaging. If you're a regular farmer, um, you know, wherever, uh, this is what you're hearing. Because farmers, you know, lots of people are not on Twitter, for instance. Farmers get their messaging from the Irish Farmers Journal. They're getting it from Chagas. These are their trusted sources that they go to, like we all have our own trusted sources. And they're not hearing um, about you know, uh, impartial science on water quality and gas emissions, you know, th that doesn't make for interesting reading. I think what you said about the structures that the government has put in place, and I think you're right about this, the IFA, I see it kind of similar to the Construction Industry Federation, that you have this one voice that represents the moneyed people at the top, but there are no other voices. I mean, the the guy who's working on a site as a bricklayer getting paid as bug, he has no voice in this. Yeah, and and, and so, I want to be so, clear on what Martin is saying is, you know, we're talking about the layers. So someone who maybe so the, you hire a developer who hires a subcontractor, hires another subcontractor, and eventually some fellas are in nothing. And, 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 you know, and this is the kind but, of. But it is the structure that's in place and, and that the the IFA has become the de facto force for all farmers, even though the IFA is not for all farmers and very clearly not for all farmers. It is for, and actually, if you want to put it really honestly, the guy is more likely to take your farm. The guys most likely to take a small family farm and envelop it into something are those at the top. Those, those industrial farmers are far more likely to take the small farm than the state is. But the narrative is the other way around. The narrative has been peddled that it is far more likely that the state will take your farm. But no, they, they want your small farm. They want to envelop you into their big model. So this is a really important point that, that you're making. And when you think about it, our, our food system is really important to us all. And obviously, people think, well, because I'm eating three times a day, at least that's why it's important. 
but it's also how our land is used, how our sea is used, it's our landscape, it's our cultural heritage, it's about so many different things. And yet the number of people who make these really important decisions around our food system and how it works is very, very small. So there is a quite a tight knit uh, group and, you know, you would include the Department of Agriculture, you'd include the supermarkets, um, the co-ops, the big farming organizations. And that's the, 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 the power circle in which those decisions are made. And if you're outside of that power circle, whether that's regular uh, public, whether it's farmers who feel they're not represented by the farming organizations, whether it's environmental groups, basically you're 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 ignored or you're or you're vilified. You just feel that you that it's, it is felt that you are not part of that decision making process. We see that all the time. I mean, one of the things that environmentalists end up doing is making these public consultation uh, submissions. I mean, holy God, is, you know, I, I could I could build a shed out the back uh, just for the submissions to public consultations. And we want to hear your view. Hmm. They don't want to hear your view. Well, well we had a great laugh with, with Harry uh, McEvan Sonia. He's, he's the guy behind uh, Irish election projections. Um, he does uh, he does like he can collates all of the different polling companies and he's very good. But we were talking about one of the recent ones. You know, Harry's a devout environmentalist as well himself. And he was talking about the, the government submission recently about saying, you know, tell us about uh, climate action. And when you read the, the survey, it was literally... And I'm going to be really dramatic, folks. So please be, uh, bear with me. You know, will you kill your pets, right? You know, sort of thing. You know, it was, it was, but it was very much put at your door, and and nothing at all really about what government could do. And you're you're reading this, and you're going, actually, when you phrase a question in such a way, you're, you're almost predetermining the outcome here. Uh, but luckily, they left little boxes for us all to say other and, and type our replies into. And I know I took the time to do that, but like that, Parik, you, you, we're here. We are now, and. You're now effectively 20 years. You've had to resign from a position that you were uh, working in and seemed very devoted to. Do you regret it? Do you regret writing the piece? No, no, I don't. And um, I, I don't regret uh, resigning either. Obviously, it was a, it was a decision, a difficult decision. Um, I, I do believe the, the, the board members of the Irish Wildlife Trust are good people. I think they they made a, a bad call on this. And um, they, they left me nowhere to go because I, I had been scheduled to go on the radio um, uh, yesterday, which is Sunday, um, mm. to debate one of the leaders of the farm organizations. And when I was told my blog had been changed, I mean, I had, you know, I had a, a, a meltdown because I was thinking, how am I? I can't go on the radio and say why it was changed or 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 explain why that happened, because I wasn't part of the, the discussion uh, on that. So, I mean, that left me with uh, nowhere to go. And then it was reported in the Farmer's Journal on Friday night that the blog had been changed. So um, so that's really what, what gave me no option at the end of the day. But, oh, and it is, sorry, sorry, Mark, go ahead. go ahead. And it is when you think that the witnesses at the, the, the Oireachtas Committee had to withdraw entire testimony because of what they said, because it was so outrageous. Let's let's frame that correctly, though, for listeners so they know the the witnesses, the the expert witness that gave evidence to to kind of counter stuff that was supposed to be happening in the nature restoration law. They had to withdraw the entire um, the entire thing a few days later. But Porig, the lie had already gotten out there. 
it had already been published, you know, and it, I saw a piece and I think it was the Indo followed up a few days later said all of that has now, you know, been struck, struck for the record. It's, that seems crazy to me. Well, it seems crazy that the, the Irish Farmers Journal had a piece about it saying it was all withdrawn, that they didn't clarify. Uh, I mean, I, I, where I'm going to I'm going to pull up the, the, the piece because EU farming expert admits his evidence the Doyle committee was incorrect. Uh, oh, after, I know what you're talking about and, now. And, yes, and, and, yeah. we're, and we're talking about like an entire, an entire. Um, let's let's face it, this was lobbying that was done in in such a way, but it was misinformation and disinformation. So when we're talking about this, we're not talking about it like something in the ether or something that you know uh, someone read a tweet or something. Like that happened in the house of the Oireachtas, and and it had to be withdrawn in full. But there's no, you know, uh, what is it? Is, is, was it Mark Twain? You know, the lie goes around the world while the truth is getting its shoes on. Yeah, and it goes to show. I mean, that instance you're talking about. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, that was last year. Mm. Um, the nature restoration obviously was only in the in the, the headlines, you know, in the final days of it. But that was published over a year ago. And very quickly, um, the farm organizations and their political allies were in the Oireachtas having hearings on it. And that's where, where that, when that incident came up. But that that was done, that very quickly became a narrative that this is a disaster. This has to be stopped um, at all costs. And um, and therefore, you know, by the, by the time, as you say, by the time the rest of us are kind of shaking our head going, you know, what do we need to do? It's almost too late at that stage because um, these groups have already lined up their 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 opposition to it. I suppose. I, we, go ahead, Martin. Yeah, uh, we see a lot about fact checks and mm. uh, media fact checks. Do you think there should be some sort of fact check on the stuff that is printed for for farmers to read? Well, I mean, of course, I mean, that's a journalistic uh, thing. It's not just farmers. It's, I mean, many of the um, the misinformation, uh, the lies basically around the nature restoration, or particularly around farmers being forced to re-wet their land, was republished in the Irish Times. It mm. wasn't. Um, so, I mean, this is not unique to any particular outlet, I would say. I mean, you know, of course, it'd be great if, uh, if we only saw hard facts uh, in in print I, I just think on the whole uh, Martin if I could reply to that I think as someone who gets you know my back gets up like I, I was I, I saw something the Taoiseach said the other day and um, that he was welcome to and I knew the, the facts didn't bear it out but I also am aware that the reporter who's reporting that is simply it's a report more more so than an investigation or journalism. So I, I'm not cutting people slack. I think, you know, it's hard to do that in real time. But I also think that if a loser podcaster knows that off the top of his head, some of you should know it as well, by the way, if you're, if you're you know, if you're a, a paid political correspondent. But, uh, but Park, I, uh, if I was to, here's where, I, here's where we seem we have to spend in now 25 minutes talking about the situation and, and the misinformation, disinformation, the idea that, uh, agriculture, farming, and and actual net nature restoration has become a culture war issue. We now get to the fact, and I want to put it to you, that the nature restoration laws didn't die, but they were completely bastardized to a point whereby they may be completely ineffective. And then, and I'm going to point the finger of blame at, at so many people, but we, we there's, it's so much blame to go around. But I don't like seeing then people in the ENGOs and in in particularly members of the Greens and government celebrating that it that it's not dead when it it's like it's like you know celebrating that you lost you only lost five nil as opposed to seven nil I don't know where the win is there. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was one of those people. I, I mean, we, we were very much involved in the campaign around the nature restoration law and um, the work we did as a community, I think, was was instrumental in getting it over the line. Because remember, the, the rejection amendment were, was very narrowly won and we succeeded in changing the position of seven of our MEPs. So the fact that we have a nature restoration law at all, um, I think, is a victory. It is also a victory because it exposed the EPP and their campaign and their lives, and it didn't work for them. So that's a that's a victory. Of course, it's a disaster that it's been gutted. I mean, that, you can't deny that either. Now it's not finalized. There is there, we we do hope to claw some of those victories back. But bear in mind also, guys, that environmental law in its entirety has not been effective. You know, so even if we got the best nature restoration law in the world, you know, I'm not going to be jumping up and down to say, oh, this is fantastic. We've solved the biodiversity crisis. You know, we have the nitrates directive that we were talking about dates from 1991. And uh, the Citizens Assembly on Biodiversity Loss was very clear in calling out the fact that government after government has failed miserably to implement any of these things. So, you know, getting it all over the line is one thing. Implementing it is something totally different. But as for the the the, uh, the result in Strasbourg two weeks ago, to me, it, it was a victory. Our victories may be small, but we have to acknowledge them and celebrate them. Onward to the great victory of certain defeat. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to, I, I have spoke, I like speaking to environmentalists and people who are interested in the environment over the last year pretty much all of them without fail will privately admit that they are despairing, that they don't see that the world or the leadership of the world is moving any way fast, even if it wanted to, it's not, and they don't want to. What's next for Porrick? Where's Porrick going to go in this new vista where really and truly it's brick wall you were fighting? Yeah, um, I mean, you're right about um, the 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 mood. Uh, despairing, I think, despairing goes too far because despairing is also inaction. And uh, I would always remind people that this doesn't stop getting worse until something is done. And we know what we need to do. We have the solution. So uh, as activists, we always, you know, <laughs> you know, it may be delusional, but we do get out of bed feeling that we can actually um, do something. Uh, what's next for me is I, I honestly don't know. Um, um, I am very invested in it already, and I feel it's, it's an absolutely critical issue. It's when you look at what's happening in the Mediterranean as we speak, and other parts of the world, it's absolutely calamitous. And I think we all have to be doing whatever we can do in our capacity to um, to raise our voice and, and try and affect the change that we know needs to happen. Whilst I agree with you that it's calamitous and we're looking at it from a distance, um, I would say to you that it's not calamitous enough. And that's the problem. And that there is going to have to be an event a mass death event oh, of white middle-class people before anybody does anything. Yeah, um, you, you, may, you may well be right, um, but we are seeing, I mean, these heat waves that we see in the Mediterranean and in the United States, they are mass death events. 
they they just don't lend themselves to TV pictures the way earthquakes do. Um, we find out about them months later after reports on hospital admissions and fatalities are reported. Um, I think we will also see it once there are multiple simultaneous crop failures. Mm. That's really what sharpens people's minds. uh, And it's really unfortunate to say this, but the the failure of the UN grain deal currently and what's happening with Russia and Ukraine, like that is going to sharpen minds very much as well, you know, because um, that when you talk about food sustainability, the boast from the Department of Agriculture back when Simon Coveney was minister is that we're going to be by 2020, we'll be feeding 60 million people a year from, you know, Irish. That's not true. This is just a, you know, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a nonsense. And here we are now, you know, dependent on a link in the chain to, to, to feed maybe uh, different types of, um, agriculture. I, I think John Gibbons put it quite well, Martin, where he said, you know, quite often think of it as you're consuming carbon. You know, because how it's been fed to maybe the 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 animal that produced the product, uh, uh, you know, is 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 consuming carbon. Really quick ones for you. Why do you hate cows, Porrick? <laughs> I don't hate cows. Um, quite happy to see cows. Actually, from a nature uh, restoration point of view, uh, cows can be very valuable. You know, there are important habitats and species that depend on cows. But uh, but we have too many of them in Ireland is, is the problem. And it's not just cows. Cows get a lot of attention. We have, uh, I think the figure was nearly 70 million chickens in Ireland. Uh, and we, we know about have... and we know what happens with the with the offset with, with dumping into waters of, of chicken excrement, you know. Yes. I mean, you often hear we don't have factory farming in Ireland, but we do. We have enclosed chickens, we've enclosed pigs in factory units, and they lead miserable, miserable lives. Um, and they're being fed with imported grain and all the dung is also contributing to the water. So cows, I think, uh, can be, uh, can be part of the solution. I mean, I also acknowledge that, you know, cows are part of our tradition. I, I'm in, I'm living in the city, but, you know, maybe I don't feel it so much, but cows are part of our story and our tradition and we don't have to get rid of them completely. Mar- uh, Mar- no- Martin, Martin comes from a good dairy stock. So he, he, he my he, granddad and my father were dairy farmers. So, and, and we've been dairy farming in Ireland for thousands of years. Um, but there's also a warning in that because we had a very famous dairying uh, agricultural system in North County Mayo, and that collapsed uh, several thousand years ago. And it is believed it collapsed due to climate change and deforestation. So there's there's messages there as well. Well, if we look beyond biodiversity and we look at the Gulf Stream, which myself and John were talking about, and you look that if if that does slow down significantly, well, then you're going to have uh, a snow covered Ireland for six months of the year. So try farming in that. How oh, seriously try farming in that? Oh, it's totally disastrous. I mean, look at farmers this year. I mean, they had no rain from May to the end of June. There was a technical uh, agricultural drought by the end of June, and it hasn't stopped raining since. Mm. And and I see farmers now online saying their land has turned to a swamp and it's all muck and you can't feed cattle doing that either. So this is the thing. Climate change is disastrous for uh, for farmers and uh, and their livelihoods. And this is why we need to get on to talking about, you know, what are we going to do about it, not whether we're going to do something about it. And why don't we take the money that we have and actually use it to to help people do those changes that need to happen? Because that's really crucial. That gets lost in all the things where they say they're coming for your way of living. Well, 
only in on so far as that maybe we need to change some of the things that we're doing, but we're not you're not going to feel the pinch financially if we do it the right way, Porig. And that is really crucial. And that message doesn't get out there. We the 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 idea then is, and, and Luke Ming Flanagan has made the point on the floor of um of the European Parliament that it would be, you know, because of the the messages that goes to farmers that they're going, well, if we have to make these changes. And you, your, your income drops. Well, you know what? What was it that they said? The European Parliament. There'll be farmers waiting to greet them with with, with shotguns. You know, uh, and I, yes, I know it was kind of tongue. Go ahead, yeah. Ten billion, ten, nearly ten billion euro uh, of of taxpayers' money uh, is going to Irish farmers under the current Common Agricultural Period, which started this year. It's a seven-year cycle. Ten billion. It's a lot of money. There was a huge campaign. Uh, to make sure that that money was going to be spent to help transition farming to a climate and nature friendly model. And of course, there was enormous backlash. In Ireland in particular, there was basically, a, a, it was handed to them, a system was handed to them whereby you could fa- pay farmers, not just for food, but for delivering on climate and biodiversity. And they said, no thanks, we're going to uh, majority stick to uh, what we've been doing all these years. We'll we'll give a few, uh, you know, a couple of percentage of it to you know these nature friendly bits that are out off in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. But we're not going to talk about fundamentally changing our food system. So desperate has the run away from being an ecological farmer become that it is now an insult to say that somebody is an organic farmer and uh, and apologies can be demanded for saying, I mean, really and truly pork, that really tells you where this has gone to. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you a story about uh, that politician. He lifted a quote from the ECR, which is the uh, the far right um, uh, grouping in the European Parliament, and they basically plagiarized uh, in in one of his own communications. You know, talking about how nature restoration was going to mean no houses built, no economic development, and we're all going to be you know wearing sackcloth and eating seeds off the side of the road. Okay, well you you, brought, you interrupted my my quick fire round. Why do you hate Santa Claus? I seen the EPP. They said you want you want to put um, trees all over Santa Claus's village and uh, and 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 fire all the elves that make the kids the toys. Why do you want to do that, Park? That's right, and it was it was going to basically demolish whole quarters of of Helsinki, poor old Helsinki. I don't know why that got singled out of all the cities we could be destroying in Europe. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one, one, one that actually has uh, what is a community heating? To, uh, like, I mean, we've, we've, we. Dan Nickstrom joins us from Helsinki all the time, and we just get very jealous when he talks about, you know, proper rent controls. Uh, you know, the 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 uh, the heating coming in. They, they opened one of the huge data center and fed the and fed the 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 offset the the heating that was generating into the apartment blocks in the area. Now, you know, we can still say. Of course, it's not perfect, but it's a lot damn sight better than damn, what we're doing. Damn Sinkians. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. it's, 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 oh, it's so absurd. I mean, they, they were, they were attacking the idea that we need green spaces in cities as mm. some kind of a covert attempt to prevent us dealing with the housing crisis. Uh, when, you know, people are literally dying of heat in many of these cities and, and we know that, you know, trees and greenery can help to reduce 
uh, temperatures. So, I mean, well, absolutely absurd. Re- stuff. Really, another quick one. Both my, myself and Martin have, uh, I have, I have a cat and dog. Martin's a cat and dog. Which one of them do we have to um, get rid of first, Parag? You want your demand? We have to get rid of one of them now, I believe. I would get rid of the dog. The dog, uh, because they're all eating uh, farmed fish and supplements from deforestation. Uh, but the dog is is going out and, and chasing that, nesting that, birds as that's well. The wrong, that's the wrong answer. It's the cat. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, no, no. You can say what you like about dogs but on twitter please do not diss cats do yeah. not diss oh cats. yeah yeah no, no well it's called i think it's called x now martin i don't know what's happening with social guys media. i'll take on the far right but i won't take on pet owners no yeah. god I, I just thought it was a crazy idea that they even they even put it in a survey for you know uh, Parik, it is i think after listening to you it's hard not to be disappointed Mm. And it's difficult not to be disappointed that that we are in this period in our history where, uh, you know, it's a post-truth history and post-truth is winning. Um, I think it's sad for you, too, after putting in so much work into it. And I really do think it's sad for you. Um, I hope the future is something a bit brighter. I hope it's something that's a bit more rewarding for you. Um, thanks for coming on and having the conversation. Station Park. I, I know it's a difficult talk, and it is a difficult talk to talk about. A lot of work that you've put in over a lot of years, and to be scuppered over something so stupid. Um, it really something is. that stands up to something that stands up to any sort of basic inquiry. You know, any sort of like you're not you. You know, what was the lines I used once, Martin? There was a a journalist who would be well enough known who had done something that was effectively a dog whistling. Or, um, what? Oh, sorry. Apologies to journalists. It was an opinion writer. Okay. There's a very big difference between journalists and opinion writers, but they had done this piece and someone said to me that they were going to, that I was going to get a, a legal letter and we're not, uh, no strangers to legal letters in the tortoise shack. Um, but one of the things I, I laughed at, I said, no, no, no. If you look at what we factually said, we said, we're not saying that that person is necessarily say anti-migrant. We're saying that many of the people who like him are, <laughs> you know, so, so there is that element of we have to be careful about it. But no, Park, thanks for talking to us. Um, I hope. Uh, and that's my very last question and maybe you can like, feel free to ignore it I hope you become a bit more radical uh, uh, after this and say well actually I need to double down now I need to be I need to be uh, stronger in 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 because you've now you've made the leap you've actually taken a stand and uh, it's a credit to you but to, but become a bit more radical park this, I, I'll this, give that. Uh, I'll give that good thought. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll 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 see where we go. Well, listen, folks. We have um, speaking of radical. They're not radical. They're just uh, they're just a community activists. Katu, the the uh, trade union for for renters. Uh, we have them this evening as well. So lots coming your way. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Thanks for liking, sharing, telling people about us. We have no ads, no sponsors. We rely on you. So if you are uh, not a member. The easiest bit of activism you can do every month is throw us a couple of quid. It's the price of a cup of coffee and it helps us keep that little bit of space to have conversations with the likes of Porig and, and Katu and everybody else who you'll hear from. Uh, and that's what makes the difference, I think, because we, we have to keep talking. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Subscribe now on Patreon.